evening beacon bay it's and some visitors um if we haven't met my name is arno i have the privilege of serving on the eldership team here at this church and i also have the privilege of preaching this evening um thank you for all your prayers we had an amazing time in the uk um guys go how was your holiday i'm going it's okay i only preached eight times in 11 days um we work hard when we're there but it was amazing and just encouraging to see what god's doing in the churches there um, most of them are looking for bigger buildings. Um, it's expensive to run church in the UK, as you can imagine. Pound is still 20, 20 rand to the pound, so a cup of coffee, like a 70 rand a cup of coffee. A, a beer is like 120 rand a beer, so like we did not drink much. Um, had a few coffees, but this evening we're continuing as a church. We, we're week three on the, on the series called A Gospel-Centered a Life, or A Life Centered on the Gospel. What does that look like? Um, and there's one thing that we are committed to as a church is to be a church where the gospel is center stage to everything we do. That every decision we make as a church, as a leadership and as a people would be around the... How can we proclaim and make this gospel that Christ has given to us so clear to our own lives but also to the city around us? Um, this evening, I know that Sia launched us two weeks ago. Warren, I listened to the preachers around... Um, how the gospel feeds us from pretense and from performance in our lives, how we can be, be authentic and real with Jesus in, in what's going on in our hearts. And this evening I'm going to talk about news too good for our hearts to believe it's true. I don't know, um, as long as I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian for 35 years or so of my life, um, my heart is still struggling to understand just how amazing God's love is. I'm still battling to understand how a holy God, nothing like me, would accept and love and honor. And the, the, the rotten honor that I know I am, still am, still trying to get, um, um, God is still doing a work in me. Tim Keller, a voice that we listen to often, and an incredible church leader, but theologian around the gospel says this, because the gospel is endlessly rich, it can handle the burden of being the one main thing of a church. I love that. Because of the gospel, the depth and the riches of the gospel that Christ has done on the cross, we literally can plant it in the middle of our church and saying, that is what we're all about. Don't bring any other stuff around. This is what we're going to focus. Because we believe that if our people get the gospel, if God opens our eyes to this incredible gospel, we'll change our cities, we'll change everything, we'll change families, we'll change relationships, we'll change our own walks with Jesus. Um, and at the root of our human condition is the struggle for right standing with God and our identity. Every single human being in this room struggles with who am I? Am I accepted by God? Who am I as God's son and daughter? Um, and Warren spoke so well last week about if we struggle with that, the insecurity breeds two things, performance and pretense. We pretend that everything is good with us because we, if we don't pretend everything is good, then we're not in good standing with God. Or we perform, we, we work ourselves to death to try and get the approval of a father. If you can imagine a, a grumpy dad that's always upset, always saying, you're not doing well, you're not, you're, or you're always failing. Um, Paul writes to the Jews and he says they did not know, um, did not know the righteousness that comes from God, but sought the, to establish their own righteousness. This, tonight we're speaking about our hearts wanting to establish our own righteousness and not accept the righteousness that Christ gives to us. Some of the stuff I read this week speaks about one of the reasons the gospel is so offensive to us as human beings is because we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves, so we want to actually give me something to do rather or be rather, then I'm okay. I can prove myself. I can, I can get fitter. I can get stronger. I can, I can be better with my money. I can be better in my relationship. I can swear less. I can drink less. I can, I can whatever that thing is. Give me something to do. And we, as human beings, we kind of we like it. We enjoy ticking the boxes to, to kind of accomplish and one of the main reasons is that the, in our hearts, there's this desire to prove ourselves to God or to, for acceptance and for identity. And Paul warns that the Jews would not accept Christ as their, as their gift, as their righteousness. They wanted to establish their own righteousness. 
And it's the same thing with us. When we pretend we are making ourselves out to be better than we are, so in life group, in life, in your friendship, when I'm, if I'm in a friendship, I'm always pretending. What we're actually trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to present to Warren an honor that's better than he really is. I'm not really wanting to allow him to see the weaknesses or brokenness in me. And when we perform, we're trying to please God by what we do. We're trying to make God happy. We think that if I just perform a bit better, God will be happy or he'll, he'll answer my prayers maybe. If I just come to church more regularly, maybe why God's not answering my prayers, I just don't come to church enough or I don't pray enough, I don't read my Bible enough. We have these little things that we think, if we just did these things, maybe God will then be happier with us. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, um, introduced this t- terminology. Luther, the great reformer, shaped the, this terminology that we're going to speak about tonight. And certainly Paul wrestled, wrestled openly in Scripture with this thing. And it's called um, the human heart curved on, in it, on itself, or in covetous in sea, curved in on itself. What happens when our hearts are curved in towards ourselves? And the early church fathers, Luther, Augustine, all these guys believe that sin, the actual problem with sin is that you and I, our own hearts are, are curved in on ourselves. We, we look to ourselves for our salvation, for our joy, for our approval, etc. And we look to ourselves for our, even our salvation, for our own righteousness. We, we look to ourselves to think we are going to be, we're going to solve this problem. We are going to resolve the issue or the problem that we have in our relationship with God. And Paul even, is, there's a scripture that we're going to read tonight in Romans 7 that many theologians even ask, is this even Paul writing? Which one is this? Or did someone else sneak in like a, you know, if someone um, grabs hold of your Facebook or your Insta page and they put a post in there and they're going, hey, that wasn't me. I've been, I've been hacked or I've been, I don't know what the words are. Even today, it changes every week. Tagged. What's it? Even tagged. Tagged. Ta- or you get tagged in a post. You go, that was not me. Anton gets that all the time. With, with serious cyclists, not like him. Um, so Paul writes this piece of scripture that many theologians go, we don't even know, was this before he was saved? Was it as he was a believer, etc.? Um, um, that kind of thing. And we're going to read that text to, together tonight. Um, in the early days of Facebook, Facebook was big when I was like still young. Um, and we, today, like I've, I've told, Facebook's only for grandparents. And like literally, that's who it is. Instagram and WhatsApp's the thing now. But have you ever been on one of those social media platforms and a friend of yours just spills their guts about how life is going, but it's not going well? Just life sucks. This is difficult. This is hard. Um, I'm not sure I'm enjoying life at the moment. And I, I wish I had better friends. I wish I lived somewhere else. Have ever seen a post like that? There's two reactions to some of those posts, isn't it? There's, the first reaction is, Oh, my friend, I, I, really, I really wish you didn't put that out there. Like, you can delete it. You can take that off the social media thing quickly. And then there's another reaction that goes, Oh, it's so nice to have vulnerable, honest friends amongst us, isn't there? Like, oh, someone actually feels a bit like me. And quietly, without telling anybody, we, we identify with them, but we don't want to like, like it or like, say something on the, on the post because we're scared that everybody thinks that now we, we think, oh, I would, a lot of you think like that. I can see it in your facial expressions. Um, R.E.M., one of my favorite bands, um, they write a song. It's called, It's Been a Bad Day, Please Don't Take a Picture. One of their top, top songs. This idea of like, this has been a terrible day. I hope no one saw me today. I hope there's no re- record of what this day was like today. If I can delete it, that's even better. If everyone can forget what a bad day. I'm sure we've had friendships like that. And, or days in married and marriage and friendships where you go, I, I was terrible yesterday. Can we just delete yesterday? Can we just pretend it didn't happen? And Paul has one of those days, clearly. And he puts it in scripture for us to read. And he doesn't take it away. He doesn't delete it. He doesn't even try and explain it. When his heart curves in on itself. And we're going to read that together. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you go with me to Romans 7? And we're going to read from verse 17 to 8 verse 3. Um, And we're going to read to 8 verse 3 because something significant happens to his heart in this passage. 
So Romans 7 verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is Paul, the great church leader. Just remember who's writing this for us. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it. I want to do right, but I just can't get there. I want to go to gym, but I just can't get to gym. I want to eat less chocolate, but I just can't send out to that chocolate slab. He's literally saying, I have all these good ideas and intentions. I just can't carry them out. For I do, I do not do the good that I want, but I do the evil that I do not want to do. And I keep doing it. It's like saying, this is a habit of mine. This is Paul speaking to us. Now, if I do, not, if I do what I do not, do not want... It is, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. He's literally saying, as a church leader, church planter, church, a theologian, a gospel preacher, he's going, there's still sin living in me. I'm still struggling with the sin in me. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do the right, evil lies close at hand. He, the language here is that he says evil or sin in his life ambushes him. It's like literally waiting around the corner. I don't have to go far. Around every corner I turn, there's an opportunity to sin. And guess what? I find it easy to fall for that trick or for the, for the, for the snare set before me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. It sounds like he's coming right now. But I see in my members, in other words, in his body, in his flesh, another law waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and sin that dwells in my members. He's literally using terminology of something is warring inside of me. Paul is having a bad day. He's turned his heart inwards and he's going, inside of me, I can, some of me wants to follow Jesus and obey what God has called me to, but inside of me there's something that's always keep, keeping me from doing that. There's a, a war raging inside of me in obeying Christ. There's the members of my body, my flesh, honest flesh, his own heart, his evil fleshly heart turns against it. And he goes, verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Calvin says about this verse, he says, it, 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 many, many theologians, Calvin included, will say, it comes across as Paul is saying, I would rather die and be with Jesus than continue to wage, to wage war against my own self here. There's a war going on inside of me. Verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin and the flesh. That's how he ends this little passage. We're going to pray and we're going to tuck into it a bit for ourselves. Jesus, thank you for your word. We, 2,000 years later, want to say thank you that Paul did not remove this from his writings. Thank you that he was honest and vulnerable, that he was authentic in his walk. Helps us understand the war that rages in our own hearts in obeying you, Jesus, and following you, Christ. But also warns us against the danger of our hearts turned inwards. Our hearts turn to looking at ourselves for our own righteousness, for our own performance before you. And what happens when we take our eyes off Christ and off you and what you have accomplished on the cross for us. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, this evening? Would you, would you help each one of us in this room curve our hearts towards you, Jesus? Could we walk out of this room this evening with our eyes on Christ, where there is no condemnation, where there is life and freedom in the Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
My inward curved heart war against my confidence in Christ. It's one thing that will happen for the rest of our lives until Jesus comes back. Is that our, our hearts when curved inwards will rob us of our confidence in who we are in Jesus. Paul was not having one of those confident days. Look at me, I'm following Jesus. He was saying, don't look at me right now. I'm struggling to follow Christ and everything. Listen to the language that he uses. If you, and sometimes we have to highlight some, some text because we can read a passage like that. And some of the big statements he makes can kind of get lost. I know that nothing good dwells in me. Ever feel like that? Ever had days where you go, there is nothing good in honor. I cannot believe how, how evil I am, how bitter I am, how selfish I am, how, how conceited I am. Have you ever had those moments? I, I trust I'm not the only one that ever has those moments. For I have the desire to do right, but I have no ability. I, I'm failing at this thing called following Jesus. I'm failing miserably at what it looks like to follow Christ. I do not do the good that I want, but I keep tripping up. It's so easy. Have you ever, ever felt where, 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 where you think Satan is so easily ensnares you and trips you into the same sin over and over? I know many, many folk that young and old who for life keeps tripping over the same thing. Evil lies that so close to hand. It's so easy for me. I see them on members inside of my life. The amount of people that I've spoken to as a pastor that says, honor, being a Christ follower almost feels like I've just said yes to a war inside of me. There's these two wars going on inside of me. The one to do good, like the, and we're not talking about the little devil on your right shoulder and the, what's it? No, no, no. Angel's on your right shoulder and the devil is on your left shoulder. Do you know where that comes from? Because ancient, ancient days, left was, was always evil. If you were left-handed, you'd, they would tie your hand behind your back until you could write with your right hand. That's literally ancient, ancient days. So everything left was devil. Everything right was, was the angel. That's where, anyway, so just free. That's for, you can, next time you do a, next time you do a quiz evening and they ask you, where does that come from, you know. And he uses language like, wretched man that I am. This is a person who has had a personal encounter with Christ. Literally the presence of God knocked him off a donkey. And blinded him until he could see the gospel. This is that person saying this. Wretched man. I am useless. I'm, I suck at following Jesus. This is hard. There's nothing good about Paul. Waging war. This is the language. It's like a war going on. Waging war against within myself. I'm, I'm kept captive by this thing. I can't break free. What's happened here is Paul's heart is turned. In Covetus in C, it's, it's curved in on itself. It's looked at himself. Paul's looked in at himself and he goes, inside of me there's no hope. I'm useless, hopeless. I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm failing at this thing. I cannot find anything good in me. To, I can't, even the stuff I want to do, even if I find a good desire, I can't even do it. That's if I find a good desire. But most of my desires, desires isn't for good. It's actually to do the opposite of good. And even in Paul's life, amid the, amidst the working divine grace that's clearly upon his life, there's still a moral and spiritual struggle going on in his life. Just because Christ has gripped hold of your heart and opened your heart and God's spirit and God's grace is upon your life and working in you, does not mean that we stop waging and struggling to follow him. Like I said, until Jesus comes back, you and I will be waging or raging. I always say waging the raw, raging in this war. Against ourselves. The drive to do evil is, is close to do. This is not a pleasant state to be in. And he cries for help here at the end in verse 24. He says, who is going to help me? Who is going to, what's going to happen? Who is going to curve my heart outwards? Who will help my lift, make me lift my, head, my eyes off myself, my own performance, my own pretending? I'm tired of performing. I'm failing. I can't pretend anymore. People, I can see who I am. The same stuff Warren preached last week. Who's going to help me? Who's going to lift my, 
my, my eyes off this hopeless, powerless failure of a Jesus follower. And if we're honest, all of us could identify with Paul. All of us in the room could go, yep, that's me. That's what my spiritual journey feels like. Some days we have a bad day. We go, I hope no one saw me. Some days we have a good day. We go, ah, I hope someone saw how nicely I behave myself. Or maybe you're in between. Maybe you're right in the middle of the battle right now. Maybe there, there's a sin that keeps tripping up. And you're, I just, I am so useless. Is this my life? Am, am I never going to overcome this sin in my life? Is this what's going to happen? Is this the future for my life? And the big question that we ask is, why in the world would Paul openly confess the struggle and leave it in Scripture for us? Why did he openly confess the struggle and why did he leave it in Scripture? He knew that this letter was going to be spread to all churches. He knew that he was a significant authoritative voice in the early church. He knew church members are going to read this about him. Certainly he wasn't falling for the pretense trap that we spoke about last week. He's going, no, I'm not going to pretend. The church needs to know that this is a struggle. The church needs to know the danger of what happens when our hearts curved inwards on ourselves. Paul wants you and I to know that the struggle and fight we fight is a very real personal one. And it's part of what God's Spirit is doing in us. I read in one commentary, the person saying, The mere fact that you are fighting against sin and against evil is a sure sign that God's Spirit is working in you. Because your flesh won't fight evil. Your flesh won't fight against the flesh. Your flesh will just do whatever your flesh wants. But the mere, mere fact that you are fighting shows that God's Spirit is doing something in you. And then something amazing happens. I look within myself and I find absolutely nothing that is not wretched. This is Paul, depraved and totally self-absorbed. I need deliverance from someone. And then in this moment, I wish we could do it. But like, I wish we had that old song set up on the keys. Janus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Kind of starts playing in the background. I'm sure, no, no, it's okay. Janus, do you want to do that? Do you want to try? But there's this moment in this passage, and I was reading this, and as this passage started happening, in, in verse 25 onwards, it felt, I could hear the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, look full of his beautiful face. What happens here for Paul is that the gospel captures Paul's gaze, and his heart turns outward towards Jesus and his righteousness, no longer on his. From verse 25 onwards, we're going to read, But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Now he's going, hey, there's nothing to be thankful for, what I'm going through here. But now I can see Jesus and what he's done for me. And then Romans 8 continues. We're going to read the last two verses. There is no condemnation. This is the same Paul. He's still writing. I know we've got, head, we've got like chapters and verses in, in Scripture. But this is one letter he's writing to the Romans. He goes from this, uh, there's nothing good in me, to there is no condemnation for me in Christ. Not in myself. I condemn my flesh. I condemn my own heart. There's only condemnation inside of me. But in Christ there is no condemnation. For the law of the Spirit is life that has set us free in Christ Jesus. He's just used the language of I'm, I, am, I, am, I am in captivity. I am held by this. I cannot break free from this. Now he's using language of life and freedom and no condemnation. What happens? He's reminded his heart. It's almost like God's Spirit takes his eyes off himself. He's like, Paul, stop looking at yourself and look at what Christ has done for you on the cross. And when he sees the cross and Christ's righteousness, freedom and life flows into his life. And an inward curved heart turns towards Christ. And he, his gaze changes towards that. And Paul gives this beautiful story. And there's, there's, a, there's a journey in Paul's life here. And I'm, just for three, in, in a matter of four years, if you chronologically read his writings, a year before, this, before, before Paul writes this or pens this letter, two years before he writes this to the Romans, Paul writes this to the Corinthians church. 
that we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He's two years before writing this, Paul is writing to other Christians and saying, Hey, God is changing us. His Spirit is working us and He's moving us from glory to glory into Christ's likeness. He's encouraging the church. Two years later, he writes Romans that we just read. He writes this passage saying, there is nothing good in me. I don't know how this happens. And then a year later, he writes to the Philippians in the church in Philippi. And he writes this to them. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Even Paul, if I may say that. Paul, this amazing... I think sometimes we can have these views of guys in Scripture or theologians or, or Christians out there. We think it's easy sailing. They're always perfect. They always live holy lives. I can promise you there's not one elder in this church that lives a perfectly holy life that doesn't deal with sin or temptation in their lives. We, we all deal with it. We have to face it. We have to fight it in our lives. No Christian leader is, it lives like that. But it's so encouraging to see Paul. If you were to take like a timeline to this, in, in 2019, Paul writes to the one church, God is going to make you into the image of His Son. His Spirit's working in you. In 2020, he's writing, there's nothing good in me. I'm a wretched man. There's no hope for me. In 2023, he writes, I'm so confident that Christ will finish the work that He's begun in me. Can you see what happens even in his writings? No human weakness. Paul Tripp writes this. No human weakness can stop the march of the personally redeeming and cosmos renewing plan and power of God. Once God has started a work in us, Paul Tripp and his words saying nothing, no human effort, no human being can stop that work that's begun. Not even my own heart. God's Spirit is so kind that He will turn my heart off my own righteousness onto His righteousness. In his, that's what the Spirit does. When we were young, we used to, we used to take um, the game that myself and my friends used to play. We used to find old tennis balls and we used to cut them in half. And we'd sit around the table and we'd like have a packet of chips. It's okay. The first tennis ball to turn right way up will, you know, or the last one to turn um, wins. And so what we would do is we'd turn the tennis ball inside out. Have you ever done that? I don't know if you've ever done that. But we used to do it for fun. I don't know. We were bored. We were young. We didn't have um, Playstations and stuff like that. And so we would sit around the table and we'd take our halves and we'd like count down. We'd turn it. The wrong, like with the rubber side on the outside, put it on the table, and we'd look at whose is the last to pop, and that guy would get whatever the prize was. It didn't take long at all. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever tried that. It doesn't take long for a tennis ball to pop right, wrong way or right way in. Our hearts are like that. It doesn't take much effort for our hearts to turn back on itself. Actually, everything in us and everything that we are as human beings will cause, and the world we live in, there's an enemy, there's our own flesh. Everything turns to our own self-righteousness. Everything, it doesn't take much effort for you and I to feel what Paul felt. Actually, that's the natural inclination of our hearts, is to turn inwards and look at ourselves for our own righteousness and how well we're doing. And we end up, like Paul, saying, Oh, wretched man, there is nothing good in me. And just as we have to take our thumbs and pop that tennis ball the wrong way right, or the right way wrong, God's Spirit has to work in us and He turns our hearts from inside turning inwards to Christ. What happened in verse 25 onwards for Paul, isn't Paul sorting himself out. It's God's Spirit showing and turning his heart towards Christ of himself. You and I need that. That's what, what happens. Because if we don't, we look at our own souls. We get, we get depressed. We get anxious. We feel like we're failing, that God is not doing anything in our lives because we look at our own self-righteousness. And in Romans 8, it's probably one of the the, the, the richest expositions of the gospel is what the gospel achieves in our lives. As pastors, it's our go-to. It's our rock. When people are struggling in their faith, in life, 
in anything, in the security around Christ, we go, go read Romans 8. Don't forget what Romans 8 follows. It follows 7, 17 to 25. That's only because of God's work in Paul's life and God's Spirit working. And, and he says so. The Spirit of God brings me to freedom in life. I did not bring... Paul could have said, I woke up, had a good coffee, listened to four worship songs and had a good quiet time, and then I could see again clearly that Jesus is Lord. He doesn't say that. He doesn't give us a formula. He, 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 sh- he points us towards a power. He goes, no, God's Spirit does that in you. He wants you to know that this is a, our life in Christ is not a me working hard or performing hard or my righteous living. No, my life in Christ is because of what God's Spirit is doing in me. And Paul shows us exactly what the gospel does here. He t- turns us from orphans to sons and daughters. We're no longer insecure. Now we're sure because of Christ. And that all happens by the power of the Spirit. But Paul also gives us a gospel life pattern here. If you look at what happens in Romans 7 and then, then in 8, 7, 17 to 24 literally is a confession. He's confessing, saying, this is where I am. When I look inside, this is what I see. He brings it before Christ. He says, God, this is who I see. This is how I feel. This is what I, what I, what I view myself in. And then in verse, verse 25 onwards, belief kicks in. His faith is on him. And that's how the gospel works in your life. I think it's up there. We will live this pattern until we get to heaven. Confession, belief. Confession, belief. We bring our, our brokenness before God, and then we, God's Spirit gives us faith and shows us Christ. Where we have faith, we go, okay, now I know. I'm, I, I'm, there's no condemnation for me. It's, it's radical. It's, it's incredible how Paul goes from this confession to the next verse, there is no condemnation. Can you see what happens there for us in the gospel? And only the gospel does that. So you and I, I would advise, this is a great pattern for your life. Before your heavenly Father, in prayer, make sure that this is part of your, your prayer life. Make sure that this is part of your discipleship when you meet people. Times where we can confess our weakness and brokenness before God, but also times where we can have faith in God. We, we, um, we used to have a thing called um, um, tripods or fight clubs where, where, where three guys used to meet regularly around God's Word. And we would say, we fight against sin and we fight for faith in our lives. Paul is here fighting against sin. He's saying, I don't like what's going on on the inside. And then the Spirit helps him fight for faith and go, hey, it's okay, we, we get that, but there's no condemnation. You're a son. You're not going to be condemned. There is no condemnation. There is freedom for you. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, he means it is finished. All the work is done. You can't strive hard enough. You can't pretend enough. You can come to me as you are, confess before me. And faith and, and belief will kick in. God's Spirit gives us that belief and opens our eyes towards God. The righteousness of Jesus is counted for me the very moment I believe in Jesus. That is not my righteousness, earned by trying to be the perfect or live the perfect life or pretend to be the perfect person before God. No, God declares me righteous right now, so that should I die right now, I go to heaven right now. Because of what Jesus lived because Jesus lived the perfect life and died the perfect life, a perfect death for me. Why do we break bread every Sunday? It's not because it's traditional. I can promise you it's not a tradition for us. Because as an eldership and as a church, we believe that meal, we believe that many of us come to church feeling like Paul. Many of us are at a week where we go, I don't know if I'm doing this, I'm failing, I'm hopeless, I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm still following Christ. And we look, our hearts curved inwards. And we have communion at the end of our services. Why? Because we, through God's word and through God's spirit, we're praying that your eyes would turn towards Christ. But the last thing we do as a gathered people is turn our eyes outwards towards Jesus and go, Christ, you are beautiful. 
You are marvelous. Look at who you are. There is no condemnation. This is not on me. This is not on my righteousness. This is on you. So I'm going to invite John to come forward and I'm going to invite us to, there is a table with bread and, and wine or juice. Would you take the elements and then as soon as you've got it, we're going to break bread together. And I'd love to pray for us this evening. Amen.